Well, good morning, Friendship Church. This is Pastor Jason, and uh, we are in a sermon series called In His Steps, where we have been chronologically tracing the life of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18, and that's where we'll be uh, looking today. And today is part six. It is called The Prison of Unforgiveness. Now, by a show of hands, or wherever you're listening to this, how many of you have ever been offended by someone? If you've been offended by someone, raise your hand. Okay? All right. Well, that's pretty much everybody. Now, keep your hands up. If you know you have forgiven every single person who has offended you, lower your hands. Okay, so that's uh, probably about half of you uh, are, are still dealing with some issues of unforgiveness. And if your hands are up right now, or if you are honest with yourself and you know that you have not forgiven every single person in, that has ever offended you, then this message is for you. This is the perfect day for you to be here and to hear this message. The issue is forgiveness is not natural. Revenge is natural. When someone cuts us off in traffic, when someone does something to wound us, when someone offends us, we want justice against them. We want them to be punished. We want them to get what they deserve. We want them to suffer or at least be inconvenienced as Convenienced as we were by whatever they did to us. When we see someone uh, misbehave in, in traffic and a police officer pulls them over, we're, we're excited that they're getting justice. We laugh and we point and we're like, ha ha, you got what you deserve, chump. For some people, though, our offense is way more than a traffic incident. For some of us, We may have endured abuse at the hands of a friend, at the hands of a family member, at the hands of someone we trusted, and we swore we would never forgive them for what they did to us. I get that. I I understand. Forgiveness is not natural. Revenge is natural. Wanting justice and revenge is our natural response when someone has wounded us. But before you hold the position where you refuse to forgive them, regardless of what they've done, regardless of how long it's been, regardless of the severity of their offense, before you hold the position that you refuse to forgive them, I need you just to hear what Jesus had to say on the issue of forgiveness and the prison of unforgiveness. So we're first going to look at the problem that Peter presents. Matthew chapter 18. Verses 21 through 22 in the ESV, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now many rabbis told their disciples they only had to forgive two or three times at the most. Any more than that was unnecessary. The person was just using you. 
if they offended you more than two or three times, causing you to have to forgive them two or three times. And I personally think, you know, I don't, I don't think that there are random questions in Scripture. I think that Peter was probably dealing with an offense that took place, and he thought he was being generous. He was willing to forgive his offender as many as seven times. Jesus did not give him the answer. He, he didn't give him the answer that he expected. Seven times? You need to be willing to forgive your brother as many as 77 times. This conversation was a reference and a contrast from Genesis chapter 4. Lamech said to his wives, he told his wives that he killed a young man for striking and wounding him. And in Genesis 4.24, he said, If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is seventy-sevenfold. But instead of taking revenge 77-fold, Jesus flips the script and says that we should forgive 77-fold. That is to say, we should forgive one another so many times that we lose count. Now, some Bible translations uh, that you may have say 70 times 7 instead of 77 times. And it all has to do with where the word times goes in the phrase. But don't get hung up on this difference because it's not important to Jesus' response. He's calling us to be audacious forgivers and to not keep track of how many times the person has offended us. We're not called to be forgiveness accountants, but to be forgetful forgivers. Let me say that again. We're not called to be forgiveness accountants. We're called to be forgetful forgivers. Sometimes we come across someone who keeps score. Sometimes we are the person who keeps score. And we keep track of how many times a person has offended us. And, and that's not necessarily the worst thing. We just keep track of it because we haven't forgiven them. We don't let it go. We don't forgive them of their offense, and we keep track of all of the ways and all the times they've offended us and the fact that we are still holding on to unforgiveness in our lives. We are not called to be beam counters or to, be, uh, or to you know, have a, a, a record of all of the wrongs that someone has committed against us. We are called to be forgetful forgivers. Whether it's 77 times or whether it's 70 times 7, so 490 times, who could keep count of that many offenses? And that seems to be the point Jesus is making. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13.5 that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. By the time you've forgiven your brother that many times, forgiveness has become a good habit that you've embraced. To help Peter and the disciples understand truly generous forgiveness, he told them a story. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 23, Jesus said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So we first saw the problem that Peter presented. Now we will see the parable that Jesus tells in three scenes. So the scene one of this parable is the man, the story, is a debtor. He was a debtor. First, let's calculate the debt that he owed. If an, and I know I'm going to throw some math at you, but just stay with me for a second, all right? And, and run the numbers in your head if you can. If an average worker made $15 an hour and worked around 2,000 hours a year, that's you know about the average, uh, 40 hours a week times 50 weeks in the year, you get two weeks vacation. So $15 an hour, 2,000 hours a year, that equals $30,000. Okay, so an average worker making $30,000 a year. Well, a talent was equal not to one year's worth of wages, but about 20 years' worth of wages for the average worker. So according to that average salary, if he owed just one talent, the man would have owed the king around $600,000. If this man owed the king 10,000 talents, he would owe the king around $6 billion. And a talent was the highest form of currency at the time, and 10,000 was the highest Greek numeral that they had. So Jesus takes these two large means of measurement, the largest amount of currency, the largest numeral the Greek language had, and he uses them to illustrate the point. For one person to owe another person $6 billion, this is an unimaginable debt, a debt that no one could ever realistically repay. And the king was well within his rights to do what he said he was going to do. He was going to sell the man, sell his family, sell all that the man had, and uh, that was going to be used to pay back the debt that the man owed. Now, knowing the size of his debt, the, the servant falls down at the feet of the king. He begs for mercy. He cried out, have patience with me. Don't be too quick to punish me. Don't give up on me. And the servant said he would repay every penny. The servant, owing around $6 billion, making around $30,000 a year, said he would repay every penny. Now, let's go back to a little math for just a second. As I said, if one talent equals 20 years worth of average wages and the man owed 10,000 talents, this means it would take the man 200,000 years working to repay the debt. That's if every single cent the man earned went back to repay the debt, let alone the money he would need to live on just to keep his home and food for his family. That's before interest is calculated and added in. 
Imagine having to work 200,000 years before you're eligible for retirement. And that was all just to pay off a credit card. It was a ridiculous statement that the servant made. He could never repay this debt, and that is precisely Jesus' point. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but according to the Bible, when we go back through the genealogies and, the, and how long these individuals lived, and Old Testament specifically gives us many instances where it tells us how long a person lived and, and some historical uh, events that took place so we can date pretty well. So Adam and Eve, according to the biblical record, were created about 5,700 years ago, anywhere from 57 to 6,000 years ago. This man would have had to work 200,000 years to pay off the debt. Now, I don't know if you know much about actuarial tables or the average lifespan of a human being, but it's about 80 to 100 years. He's never going to live long enough to ever get anywhere close to repaying this debt. The king, what was the king's response here? The king was moved with compassion. He had a choice. He could sell the man, sell the man's family, sell the man's everything the man owned, knowing full well that he would only get a drop in the bucket compared to what he's owed. The man, the man and all of his goods and all of his family, his entire extended family, if they were all sold, they w- that would never fully repay the king the debt that he was owed. Now, he could, the king could allow the man to settle the debt and allow him to pay a portion. But again, when you're making $30,000 a year and you owe $6 billion, what could the king possibly settle the debt for? How much was he willing to accept as payment for this debt? that the man wouldn't live long enough to ever be able to pay him back for. Or the king could do the absolutely unthinkable. He could forgive the man completely and erase the debt as if it had never happened. Well, the king chose to act with incredible compassion and generosity. He forgave the man the six billion that he owed the king. The servant didn't deserve this act of generosity. It was an act of amazing love and mercy on the part of the king. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, you've got to understand that as Jesus is telling this story, he's making what's called an allusion, a reference to something else. He's alluding to something that is going to take place, and he's setting the disciples up with this story to recognize their own debt that they owe God, the king, that it was a debt too great for them to repay, and that instead of the king throwing them in prison, instead of the king allowing them to settle and work themselves to death to try to earn their uh, forgiveness of the debt, the king made a way to completely forgive and erase the debt as if it was never owed. And Jesus, telling the story, understands what he's talking about. He's talking about himself. He is the payment for the debt. His life will be given as payment for the debt. But the disciples don't yet get it. Matthew chapter 18, verses 28 through 30, Jesus continues the story. He says, but when the same servant went out, right after he's received this audacious forgiveness, when the same servant went out, he, he found one of his fellow servants 
who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So now we see scene two of the parable. The servant was first a debtor in scene one. Scene two, now he's a creditor. He now is trying to collect a debt from someone who owes him. Now it boggles my mind that someone can go from being forgiven of such an amazing debt, more than he could ever repay, and then turn around and show such unforgiveness and hatred to his fellow servant for a much smaller debt. One denarius was a day's wages for a worker. So it would have taken the second man about a hundred days to repay the first man. A hundred days worth of working. A third of his year, give or take. A hundred days to repay the first servant. In contrast to the 200,000 years it would have taken the first servant to repay the king. So Jesus is trying to draw this large contrast between the two debts. One man owed him more than he could ever repay, and the other owed him something that was feasible for him to repay. He He had offended him and owed him something that was absolutely possible for him to completely repay and make right. Well, the first servant's response was one of violence. He grabbed hold of the second servant, took him by the throat, choked him, strangled him. Pay me what you owe me. The second man fell down at his feet, breathless and wheezing, and said the same thing the first servant said to the king. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But the first servant, having received who receives such amazing mercy and forgiveness of a debt he could never repay was unwilling to bestow the same mercy upon the second man who owed him so much less i mean unbelievably much less the forgiveness the first servant had received had not changed his heart he was a he was still a scoundrel And he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay him back. Now, a person in a debtor's prison does not earn as much as they would on the outside. They typically make pennies on the dollar. So it takes a lot longer to repay a debt in prison than if you were able to stay out of prison and continue working. The first man didn't care. He did not care that it would take the man way longer. He didn't care that it would take much longer for him to receive payment on his debt. He just wanted justice. He was not interested in extending mercy. The mercy the first servant had received did not impact his behavior one bit. He was ready to go after anyone who owed him in the slightest. Jesus continues the story, Matthew 18, 31 through 34. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
Then his master summoned him. The king summoned the first servant and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So here we see scene three of the parable. First scene, he was a debtor. Second scene, he was a creditor. And the third scene, he is now a prisoner. He's now a prisoner. This servant had been forgiven an audaciously huge amount of money. He could have gone out and shared with his fellow servants about this amazing grace that he had received. Instead, he chose to allow his heart to be unchanged. The king had originally spared him from prison, but his own actions had put him back in. Instead of extending grace as he had received, he decided to dispense justice. And that's exactly what the king dispensed back to him. The worst prison you can put yourself in is the prison of unforgiveness. When we choose to not forgive others, we not only imprison ourselves, but we stand in that cell holding the key to our own release, yet we refuse We refuse to use the key. What was wrong with this man is what's wrong with us sometimes. We have received forgiveness, but we haven't experienced it deep in our heart. We receive it as if it's owed to us. Has anyone ever done anything nasty to you and then said, well, you're a Christian. You have to forgive me. Ooh, that can really rile us up when they're abusing our forgiveness. Don't we pretty much do that with God? Sometimes, at least. We sin against him knowing what we've done is wrong. And then we treat God like, well, you have to forgive me because I asked you to. When forgiving someone who has wounded you, betrayed you, It is incredibly difficult. We have all been wounded. We've all been betrayed. We've all been passed up for promotion. And then they give give the promotion to some knucklehead who can't even turn on his computer without our help. Like, why are you promoting that guy? We've all been offended by someone. So we can all behave like the unforgiving servant at times. We want Vengeance. We want justice. We want an eye for an eye. But isn't it interesting that we only want justice when someone has offended us and we want mercy when we have offended them? Let me say that again. Isn't it interesting that we only, we, we only want justice when someone has offended us and we want mercy When we've offended them. When we offend someone, we cry out for mercy. We ask for forgiveness. If you're in the prison of unforgiveness, when someone has wounded you and you just can't let it go, I want to share with you a couple truths about the power of forgiveness. 
The first truth for you to understand is that forgiveness takes time. It does take time. Forgiveness does not happen overnight. In fact, a person may have wounded you so deeply that you can't sleep for days or weeks. Lying in bed every night, you replay the event in your mind. You ask yourself, how could anyone behave like that? How could anyone say that to another person? How could they be so nasty? How could they know the right thing to do and do an evil thing anyway? And the Lord replies to us that we do the same thing to him all the time. We know what to do. We know what he requires of us, and yet we sin against him, and we do an evil thing anyway. Second Peter 3.9, it says that God is patient towards us. His desire is not to destroy us or to send us off to some eternal prison, but to forgive our debts and restore the relationship. If God is patient with us, we should be patient with our fellow Christians and work toward forgiving them. Forgiveness takes time. Number two, forgiveness isn't about what they deserve, but it's about what you've already received. Forgiveness is not about what they deserve. It's about what you have already received. The first servant had been forgiven everything, the entire debt that he owed. And in turn, he should have forgiven He had gotten a clean slate. He should have been the first one to offer a clean slate to someone else. Now, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jason, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. I don't know what that person did to you. I know what I have endured. I know the the offenses that have been done to me and the fact that I didn't want to forgive people when they offended me. So you're right. I don't know what that... uh, what an individual did to you that caused you to be wounded so deeply. But you're not the only person that's ever been offended in this world. You're not the only person that has been betrayed and lied to. Everyone has endured offense. God does know what that individual did to you. And he still calls you to forgive them. We don't forgive someone because they have earned that forgiveness. If that were the case, none of us could have ever received God's forgiveness because none of us could have ever, none of us could have ever earned it. And what I've learned is that love makes the first move. God loved you so much. God loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, he sent Christ to die for you. He made a way to forgive you before you had even been born. He didn't wait to see if you were worthy of it. He did it when you were still completely unworthy of it. And even when you, a Christian, sin against him, He still extends the same amazing grace and forgiveness because love makes the first move. So you have to make the first move to forgive others because of the forgiveness you have already received. Number three, 
Forgiveness allows God to repay the offense. Forgiveness allows God to repay the offense. Romans 12.19, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When we try to repay, we take God's place and say to him, You weren't going to do it right. You weren't going to be the righteous judge in this situation, so I'll just do it myself. But when we back off, and when we allow God to handle the situation, he will repay whatever offense we have endured. We can be free from the prison of unforgiveness and just turn the whole situation over to God. And number four, Forgiveness is not optional. Oh, I know. You were hoping that it was, but it's not. Forgiveness is not optional. This warning at the end of the passage we read in Matthew 18, this warning from Jesus, it says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What did the king do to the servant? He threw him in prison. He called him wicked because he refused to forgive others. And so then Jesus says, My heavenly Father will do to you if you don't forgive your brothers who offend you from your heart. This warning at the end of the passage from Jesus is directed to his disciples about how they f- treat fellow Christians. Forgiving one another of offenses is not optional. Forgiveness is an absolutely critical issue with God. In Jesus' most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he says in verses 23 23 through 24, he said, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there... Remember your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before that altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What is Jesus saying here? Well, I mean, Jesus is saying that forgiveness is more important than tithing. I mean, when have you ever heard a pastor say that before? Forgiveness is more important than tithing. Now, tithing is important, it's biblical, it's commanded. However, Jesus is saying that you absolutely must deal with the unforgiveness in your heart or if you've offended someone else so that you can make it right. Staying in offense, staying in offense, choosing not to forgive someone is not an option. If you want to be part of God's kingdom. Because offense takes place. I mean, that's, it's invariable. You're going to be offended. Someone is going to do something to offend you, say something, uh, try to manipulate you, control you, whatever the situation may be. There, there will be offense, but you determine what happens from that point forward. You determine whether the offense progresses 
into bitterness and hatred, you determine whether that offense uh, is forgiven and is nullified. But you are the one in the driver's seat. You're the one that is willing to either put yourself in a prison of unforgiveness or be released and understand the power of forgiveness. You determine the progression that takes place when an offense takes place. God showed us the example in forgiving us while we were sinners, while we were, one translation says, while we were God-haters, while we loved sin more than we loved God, He forgave first. He expects us to be audaciously generous when it comes to forgiving others. Does it matter what they did? No. Does it matter how long it's been since the offense? No. What if they aren't living anymore? You can still choose to forgive them for what they did. For some, sometimes, and this is important, sometimes reconciliation is not possible. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. Sometimes a person has wounded us so deeply, they're a user, they're not repentant for what they did. They're not sorry for what they did. Now, they may not know what they did. A lot of times someone can say something and, and not even realize or, or do something and they don't even realize that they offended you. And so if possible, if you still have a relationship with that individual, if possible, try to uh, bring about reconciliation. However, there are people who knowingly wound us, who knowingly uh, offend us, who went out of their way to hurt us, I'm not telling you that you need to be a doormat for that person. I'm not telling you that your forgiveness then turns into an open door for them to continually offend you. Absolutely not. What I'm saying is that for your own sake, you need to forgive them. But that doesn't mean that reconciliation uh, is possible. You forgive them for your own sake. Maybe you have to write a letter. Um, Maybe the person is deceased and you're still dealing with the issues uh, between in, in your relationship with that person. And I, clearly you can't go and make reconciliation. Standing at their graveside is not going to fix anything. It's not going to change anything. They can't speak back to you. Now, that may be therapeutic for you, and if so, then go ahead and do it. Or you can write them a letter, and you can say, you did this, and I refuse to carry this any longer. I will not carry this baggage. I will not carry this offense any longer. If possible, then reconciliation should be attempted. But when an offense is so great, when a person is completely unrepentant, when they're not a believer in Christ and they, have no, they, they, they don't show any signs of ever intending on being sorry for what they did, then reconciliation may not always be possible. So I'm not saying you need to forgive so that someone can treat you like a doormat and continually walk over you. Not at all. But you do need to forgive in your heart, as Jesus said. You need to forgive those who wound you and offend you. You need to understand that you're not forgiving that person to free them to offend you or wound you 
over and over again. You're not forgiving them to excuse their bad behavior. You're not forgiving them for let them to ever let them back into your life or to be in a position to hurt you again. <clears throat> You're forgiving them not to free them, but to free yourself. You're forgiving them to allow yourself to walk out of the prison of unforgiveness and to enable yourself to be right with the Father. Some of you have been carrying this burden of unforgiveness. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. You've been, you're, you're right to be upset. You're right to be angry. You're right to want revenge for what was done to you. But Jesus calls us to a different path. To pray for those who use us. To pray for those who offend us. To pray for those who hurt us and wound us and persecute us. Jesus calls us to take the high road and forgive. If you recognize that while I've been speaking, you know of a situation that you need to make right with God and you need to make right with your fellow man. You've been carrying this burden of unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe somebody abused you when you were a child. Maybe it was a spouse who took advantage of you and abused you, manipulated you. Maybe it was a friend, a co-worker, uh, a family member who deeply wounded you. You're right to be upset when offense takes place because it was an injustice, something that was wrong and it was done to you. So you're right to be upset. You're right to be angry and natural. It's natural for you to want revenge. But Jesus calls you to a different path. And if you want to do God, if you want God to do a work in your life, if you want to help if you want God to help you forgive someone who's deeply wounded you, then I want to I want to pray for you. Because love makes the first move. God's love made the first move to forgive you. You need to make the first move to forgive others who've offended you. Let me pray for you real quick. God, I pray for those that are listening to this message, those that <clears throat> may have endured uh, deep wounds at the hands of another person. They had a relationship, they had a friendship, and someone used that to their own advantage, and someone wounded them. And it's hard. It's hard to let that go. And, and it takes time. It takes many times a supernatural moment with you to let that go. But Father, as you have been so audaciously generous with your forgiveness towards us, Lord, help us have that same heart to forgive others of their offenses against us. It may not happen today. It may not happen at the, at the close of this prayer. But I believe that it can start to happen that you can begin that work in us, that you can show to us how incredibly important forgiveness is for our own sake, to release ourselves from that prison of unforgiveness, to not allow bitterness to take root, to hatred, to develop. And we know that, uh, that Jesus said if we hate our brother 
or sister in our heart, we have committed murder in our heart. We don't want our offense to progress so deeply and so far that we have to deal with something like that. So, Lord, help us. Help us recognize the immeasurable debt we owed you, the immeasurable forgiveness we received at your hand. Help us remember that when someone offends us, when someone is, uh, acts with injustice towards us. Help us remember that, that we owed you a debt we couldn't pay and that Jesus paid that debt for us so that we could be right with you. Lord, help us remember that measure of forgiveness and help us give that same forgiveness towards others who have wounded us. We pray for your help. We thank you, Lord, that we receive it in Jesus' name, that you help us be free from this bond, this shackle, this weight of unforgiveness in our heart. Help us be free from that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I pray that this message was an encouragement to you. We encourage you to pass it on to other people who may be dealing with the same issue. So God bless you. We pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful week. In Jesus' name, amen.